Good morning. I, I am excited to begin um, working through the vision statement, and uh, we're going to do this in three parts. Uh, but before we do that, I want to say a couple things. Number one, um, I was actually planning to begin preaching the book of Colossians, and, uh, but that's been, we're going to push that off now to the first of the year. Um, we're going to get back to just trying to navigate verse by verse. It's typically how we preach. Uh, but this year, as we've navigated a lot of things and, and, and examined the model of Jesus and, and, and looked into the commands of Jesus, and, and now as we look at our vision statement, our values, um, it's it really, I guess the best word to use is probably it's a little more topical than we typically are. So um, I was full born ready to go back into Colossians, and then we worked through this with IBL, and we were like, well, we can't sit on this. We, we want to share this. We're excited. And so... No, that's where we're headed. This will actually carry us to about December. And then in December, of course, we'll have a Christmas series as we usually do. And then we'll kick off January, the new year, with the book of Colossians. So um, that's where we're headed, just to give you a little bit of insight. And, uh, and so as I've said, what we want to do is, you see their vision, statement one. I want to clarify these are not separate statements. They're just, you know, there's, when you see them, and, and in fact, uh, we'll, we'll look at it in just a second, um, it, it basically breaks down into like three, what looks like paragraphs, a couple sentences each time, and there's a couple of key ideas in each one of them as it would pertain to our vision, and so today, we're just going to tackle the first part, next week we'll do statement two, uh, and then statement three, and again, they're not individual vision statements, they're part of one vision statement that just has three parts to it, okay, but there was no way... We could preach the whole thing in one Sunday morning. If you guys know me very well at all, uh, we're probably going to have a tough time, maybe, just getting through one portion of the statement on a Sunday morning. But we're excited nonetheless. And so I want to start, actually, just simply by reading the first part of our vision statement. And if you have a bulletin, um, you may have noticed already that it's actually on the back of the bulletin. If you do not have a bulletin, it'll be on the screen here in just a second, and so you can follow along um, as we read it. But this is the first part of our vision statement. We, that is Dale Bible Church, exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through faithfully preaching and teaching the full counsel of God's Word. We are committed to developing and maintaining authentic relationships in the church, the community, and around the world. And so we want to break this down this morning. And uh, we want to look at this, like I said, there's going to be two main ideas that we're going to look at. And uh, I want to just start with where we started, right? We exist to glorify God. So number one, I want you to understand this isn't point number one. This is kind of a segue. It's just that we exist to glorify God. If our intention, if our purpose, if our focus at Dale Bible Church is anything other than bringing glory to God, we are off base, Right, And so one of the things that you see fleshed out there in front of you is that we exist to glorify God. How? By making disciples. And this is what we've talked about literally since January. You might remember we spent, I think it was seven weeks on 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul tells Timothy to teach faithful men who would be faithful to teach others also. We see these four generations of followers of Jesus. And so we we have talked all year long about this this act of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to operate this morning under the uh, assumption or from the position that we can kind of gloss over that. Not because it's not important, but because we've spent, 
you know, eight months now looking at this. And so if you're curious about that, I would encourage you to check out, uh, you can check out our podcast or the, our YouTube page. Uh, all of those sermons are there. You can highlight them. You can do whatever. The notes are there. Um, but that'll give you an idea. But we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Christ, primarily through faithfully teaching and preaching the full counsel of God's Word. And I want to get into this because maybe teaching and preaching the full counsel of God's Word seems redundant. So I want to talk about that this morning. Many uh, people, groups, even churches have succumbed to the pressure to compromise God's Word over the years. And this happens in many ways and in many forms. And I want to just give you one example going back a few hundred years. The 17th and 18th century, uh, during this time, there was a movement or the, the time period was known as the Age of Enlightenment, right? And this age was defined by three primary things, reason, individualism, and skepticism, And all combined, what you have is a movement that makes man and his ability to reason or to think as the source of truth. Okay? So we have this this age of enlightenment that sweeps through Europe and then into the United States where people function as though man is the center of all things and man has the ability to determine logic and reason and thereby truth uh, for themselves. And ultimately that that truth comes by what they can understand logically and through reason. Okay? And so this is the idea of what's, what's happening. And this, this idea is applied to all logic and to all reason during the Age of Enlightenment. And for people, it quickly became the mode of thinking and the mode of decision making. Suddenly, the barometer of truth was what was true for me. That's what became truth. What I could rationalize in my mind, what I could play out logically, that became truth. Now, biblically, we don't have to take a lot of time to understand why that would be a problem in the church. Because faith in Christ is not defined by logic or by reason, although faith in Christ is not a blind faith that says you have to just accept stuff and and check your brains at the door. Okay, But the reality of faith in Christ is it's very supernatural. A guy rose from the dead. He was born of a virgin. You can't rationalize these things with logic and reason in our own ability. So what happens in this age of logic and truth or logic and reasoning is truth is people, everything become very individualistic. It's about me. And people became incredibly skeptic. Skeptical. They became skeptics. And by the 19th century, one of the most impactful writings that was ever published was published as a result of logic and human reason. It was a book entitled The Origin of the Species by Charles Darwin. Now I submit to you that this is not one of the most impactful writings, not because I hold it to be valid, or because I believe it is a guide or a book or information upon which we should base our life or form our worldview. But I want you to understand this morning that in 2022, many of the debates that rage around God's word find their footing in the origin of the species 300 years ago. I don't know if you know that or not. Okay? 
Many of the conflicts that are raging in the church and in our culture, but especially within the church, about what is true, what is right, begin when that age of skepticism crept in and a man wrote a book that said people evolved by random chance. There was no cause to any of this. It is all by chance. If man did not come into existence by way of an intelligent creator, as God's word says he did, and instead is a result of random chance, then the Bible is useless. It is rendered irrelevant. And I have no problem making that claim today because if we're going to say that man came from nothing, then I want you to understand. You may hold that position today. I want you to understand something. If you hold the position that man came from random chance, you have absolutely no basis for which you can say man has value or worth. Because if you and I are a product of random chance, we're just cells and particles, and they're going to throw us in a hole when life is over, and there's ultimately, we don't need to be here today. We don't need to try to glorify God, because under this, this mode of thinking, God, who is that? He's irrelevant to our way of thinking, to our logic and reason, our, our worldviews. And so the starting point that many churches have adopted The starting points stem more from the starting point of evolutionary processes than they do from the Word of God. I don't know if there's a way to quantify this. Maybe a study has been done that could then be extrapolated out. But I would be willing to bet this morning that there are far more people in evangelical churches like ours who entertain multiple modes of creation other than God made it. And I want you to understand something. And I, I'll tell you, Pastor Aaron said this in equip class. I, there's a lot of conversations that rage about the, the, the origins of the universe and creation, all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, is there millions and billions of years between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2? And we don't, I don't want this to become an apologetics course, and I don't want to get lost in the weeds. Here's what I will say to you as it pertains to Genesis and, and the creative order of everything. If your model requires that there's death before the fall of man, then your model is in completely incompatible with the Word of God. And if our model is not compatible with the Word of God, then we have set ourselves up for all kinds of trouble. We talked about building a foundation with our men. If your model or your thinking as it pertains to the origins of mankind and everything that we know allows death before the fall, you at best have an absolutely crumbled foundation. At best. And all of this came from what? It came from this age of enlightenment where man started to say, you know what? What's good for me is good for me. And what's good for you is good for you. Anybody who thinks practically knows that's not plausible. There has to be a standard of truth. Right? And so, again, we, we say all this, right? The starting points in many of our churches that allow for all of this dialogue that's contrary to God's word stem from 
this work by Charles Darwin. It's a significant piece of writing. But this is not the case for Dale Bible Church. I unashamedly, unequivocally stand on this platform in front of my Bible proclaiming to you that the word of God declares that God created in six days. He made man from the dirt of the ground. He blew breath into his lungs. And so it was. Period. Now, if you want to have a conversation about six literal days, and okay, we'll have it until your case begins or includes death before the fall. But I'm not ashamed of God's word, whether it's matters of creation or others, other matters. In fact, when we first worked with, started working with IBL last year, one of the things that they said to us when they did their assessment was the, probably the greatest thing about Dale Bible Church, the, the primary thing that Dale Bible Church was defined by was their willingness to preach and teach the word of God. And not as we interpret it, not as we think it should be preached and taught, but as it's revealed in the pages of Scripture. And it is my goal, it is my aim, along with the other leaders of this church, along with those who, whether they're teaching a Sunday school class downstairs or an equip class downstairs or Pastor Aaron teaching the equip class up here, or whether it's a growth group throughout the week, we want that to be our heartbeat and we want to echo the words of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, I strive to teach and preach the full counsel of God's word. And Paul's given testimony to his dear friends, the Ephesian elders. And this would be the last time, earthly speaking, when Paul would be with these men who he loved dearly. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Paul says this, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Apostle Paul says they did not shrink away from declaring the whole counsel of God's word to these men. What they knew at that time is what we would call the Old Testament. And he didn't shy away from declaring all of it in all of its context. Instead, he claims his innocence uh, to the blood of those who will adopt false teachings in Ephesus when he is gone. In, in a sense, what Paul is saying is, they are without excuse because I have faithfully proclaimed the full counsel of God's word. And so when people get, are given over to pagan religions, and again, Dave was here a couple weeks ago, and he talked about everything that was going on in Ephesus with the temple of Artemis and, and just the immorality that was running rampant in Ephesus. Paul says, they've heard the truth. I'm innocent of their blood should they choose to follow false gods. And Paul can make this statement because he has declared the redemptive plan of God to all who would hear in Ephesus and everywhere that he went. It was the whole counsel of God's word. And this matters because we have to have a full picture. When it comes to God's word, we can't just have parts or snippets 
We can't just latch on to the things that we like or that we can explain with reason and logic. We can't just latch on to the things that help promote our ideas or our agendas. We have to promote the full counsel of God's word as revealed. And you know, this is going to sound weird when I say this, but that means not declaring just good news. Okay? Yes, the word gospel means the good news. Okay? And so we, we understand as we navigate scripture that the reality is that the gospel, the good news, is just that. It's good news. Man who is dead in his sin, alienated from a holy God, can be made right with him and brought back into a relationship with him because of Jesus. That's good news. The problem is many churches shrink from delivering bad news. The Apostle Paul did not. And this is significant, brothers and sisters, because it is only with an understanding of bad news that good news is good at all. You can hear all day long about the love of Jesus and the grace of God, but it can truly mean nothing to you until you understand that you are dead in your trespasses and sins and separated from God. You can talk about the love of God. You can talk about the grace of God. You can read every book in the Christian bookstore about God's great plan for your life. But if it doesn't talk about sin, if it doesn't talk about uh, restoration, if it doesn't talk about reconciliation, if it doesn't talk about repentance, you're grasping at air. Because you can't have good news without bad news. And the Apostle Paul was committed to God's word. Even when the culture did not want it and when the culture did not like it. And brothers and sisters, I am here to proclaim this morning, maybe you know, if you don't, I'm telling you now, Dale Bible Church is committed to the full counsel of God's word. That is who we are. That is who we are. Now, I want you to understand something else. It is never our desire, ever, to be disrespectful or degrading as we stand on the truth of God's word, we don't want to degrade people. We don't want to be disrespectful. We don't want to be demonstrative. But we will not compromise the word of God. We will stand firm upon God's word, just for example, in matters of life and morality. Whether this is as it would pertain to the dignity of all human life, which we believe begins at conception, or matters of sexual immorality. God's word speaks into each of these areas. And what God's word declares about them is where Dale Bible Church will stand. This is who we are. Now I want you to understand something. Because we don't want to be disrespectful. Because we don't want to be belligerent. Because we don't want to be demonstrative. We want people to understand that in, in our culture and in the world that we're living in. Because these are, these are hot issues. And the topics and the discussions and the arguments and all these things are raging. We want people to understand. We want to stand for truth. But we want people to know that as we stand for truth, there is always, always, always grace and mercy available from God in all of these matters. But we must not shy away from truth. 
Because if we shy away from truth, ultimately people will never know grace and they will never know truth. And if God's word is right, if God's word is trustworthy, and I believe it is, if it's authoritative, and I believe it is, if we don't share truth with people, people who are separated from God because of sin, no matter what it is, the Bible teaches we'll spend eternity in hell being judged for their sin. So we have to stand upon the truth of God's word. We stand upon it because God has given it. In his grace and in his mercy, he has given us his word, honestly, to be of our benefit. Okay? By, by way of having God's word, we, get, we know God. We know who he is. We know what he's like. We know what he expects. We know how to relate to him. God's word is has been given not solely for our benefit, but what it offers to us is to our benefit. Consider Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the Apostle Paul writing. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Similarly, he would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, very familiar passage, All Scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The reality of God's word is that we need it to know God and to be who God has called us to be. So not only are the people who preach it and teach it needing to be committed to God's word, but the people who make up Dale Bible Church need to be committed to God's word. It's ineffective if The leaders, for example, are committed to God's word, but the people are out in the communities, at their jobs, in their schools, living contrary to God's word. Right? And so this is why we talk about this is who we are by way of identification with Dale Bible Church. Dale Bible Church is not about me, and it's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And somehow, some way, in his plan of redemption, he chooses and desires to use us for our good and the good of those around us and his glory. So it's not about what we think. It's about what God's word declares. And we must stand upon the full counsel of it. It's the only means by which God's people can know God and the benefits of it. But it isn't just that we will stand on what God's word declares. We will also not stand upon that which God's word does not declare. Okay? We're we're not going to stand on things that, that God's word doesn't declare. Far too often churches attribute um, more to God's standards than God does. God has absolutely revealed his standards, but, but a lot of our churches today were guilty, a lot of churches today are guilty of adding to those standards, attributing more to God's holiness than God has attributed. The Gospels, you might know, are full of these people. They're called Pharisees. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know Jesus did not deal kindly with the Pharisees. He rebuked them sharply, often. And see, in many of our churches today, we're quick to call out those who compromise God's word in their practices and in their beliefs. And rightfully so. 
We absolutely should be quick to call out compromising of what God's word has declared. But if we're going to do that while we turn a blind eye to the things that are not mandated in Scripture but are mandated by our churches, it's just as offensive to God. You understand? If you compromise God's word or you add to God's word, it's just as offensive. And so we're going to stand on God's word, but we are not going to stand on matters that God's word does not stand on. And so preaching the full counsel of God's word means sticking to what God's word teaches. There was a strong church once, and inscribed on, uh, and these words were inscribed on an archway that led into the churchyard. And over time, two things happened. The church lost its passion for Jesus and his gospel, and ivy began to grow on the archway. And the growth of the ivory covering the message showed the spiritual decline. Originally, the message said strongly, we preach Christ crucified. But as the ivy grew, one could only read, we preach Christ. And the church would preach about Jesus as a great man, but never his resurrection, never his crucifixion. The ivy kept growing and one could soon only read, we preach The church also had, over time now, lost its love, or lost Jesus, excuse me, in the message, preaching religious platitudes and social graces. Finally, one could only read, we. And the church also just became another social gathering place, all about we, and not about God. Dale Bible Church is committed to preaching the full counsel of God's word to his glory and our good. As we've said, this work is not about me, it's not about us. It's about Christ and his purposes for this work. And that is why we preach the full counsel of the word of God. And secondly, here in this portion of our vision statement, we see that not only are we going to faithfully preach and teach the full counsel of God's word, that we're committed to developing and maintaining authentic relationships. In my searching, authentic was best defined as the word genuine. And authentic or genuine implies a couple of things, being fully trustworthy and also a faithful imitation of the original. So an authentic or a genuine relationship is a trustworthy relationship that's a faithful imitation of an original. I think it was three weeks ago, before, the week before Dave was here, so three Sundays ago, we preached on intentional, loving relationships. They matter. And our quest in building relationships is that our relationships would emulate the original relationships that we watched and we read through the pages of Scripture. Jesus cultivate with people. Where he met them where they were at where he didn't shy away from truth, but he extended grace and mercy in dealing with these folks. You see, relationships are modeled and taught in God's word. As we've alluded to, we see Jesus cultivate and maintain relationships, and we see guys like Paul and Peter teach on the importance of them as well as the benefit of them. And so there were three forms of relationships that we said we're committed to developing and maintaining. Number one, this is relationships in the church. And in Acts chapter 2, again, a very familiar passage, we read this, it says, and they devoted, they is the church, they devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Paul would write for us in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, authentic relationships are always built upon what the word of God teaches. Okay? Now, sometimes we got it. We're going to, well, we'll get to this in the community, but we meet people where they're at. But we're talking about relationships within the church. If our relationships are authentic, if our relationships are modeling the original, then our relationships have to be built upon what's declared in the Word of God. It's not of inconsequential matter that our vision statement begins with preaching and teaching the full counsel of God's word. Because from the full counsel of God's word, everything that we aspire to do, every, everything that we aspire to be, comes out of the full preaching and teaching of God's word. And, and because authentic relationships are always built upon what the word of God teaches, it is a foundational to relationships within the church. And within the church and the relationships within their church, there must exist love and accountability. And the accountability and the love exists because of the shared understanding of who God is and what God expects based upon our confession of faith in Christ. You see, this is what separates our relationships in the church from those outside of the church. Our relationships are built upon a shared confession of faith in Jesus Christ. That's why when you have a brother or a sister who maybe is, 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 is living in such a way that's contradictory to God's word, or what God's word clearly declares in love, we go to them. And we say, hey, what's going on? Or what's this? And we start asking questions. We want people to know that there's a genuine love and accountability that exists in the church that's based upon our confession or profession of faith in Christ. I want you to understand, when those who make up the church live according to God's word, their relationships thrive, and they accomplish what, God's, what God would desire their relationships to accomplish. They insist of unity, peace, love, accountability, compassion, grace, Mercy, edification, forgiveness, and humility, just to name a few. And those are all from the verses that I read just a moment ago. And when these characteristics are lacking amongst the body, in some way, shape, or form, among the people, God's word will also be lacking. Anytime I do marriage counseling or premarital counseling, uh, I, I, I use a diagram of a triangle. And maybe some of you guys have seen this. 
Um, but when I draw this triangle, of course, God is at the top. And then the husband and the wife, or the soon-to-be husband and wife, are at the two bottom points. And I ask the question, I say, how is it that a husband and wife can grow closer together? And almost always, the husband and wife will say they need to move towards each other. That's the wrong answer. They need to move towards Christ. As individuals first. And I make this statement whenever I draw this triangle and have this conversation. I say this. When two professing believers exist in a marriage and the marriage is fractured or struggling greatly or there's a lot of strife, a lot of conflict, whatever it is that has brought them to me for counseling, this has always been true. One or both of the people at the bottom of the pyramid are not pursuing the top of the pyramid. And it applies true in the relationships within the church. If we're not first pursuing our relationship with Jesus, you're going to have a hard time maintaining authentic relationships with people. Because if you're, if you're not, as an individual, pursuing a genuine, meaningful relationship with Christ, then there's probably going to be things you don't want people to know. There's probably going to be things you don't want revealed. We, we call them secrets or skeletons in our closet, right? And so we shy away from authentic relationships. We shy away from meaningful relationships because what if they find out? And so we've got to understand that if we're going to have meaningful relationships that are developed and maintained within our church and in churches like ours, then we must as individuals be pursuing Jesus first, allowing us to cultivate those relationships. Right? So we want to, we want to develop and maintain relationships in the church, but also in the community. This is a reality that God's word teaches. The church does not exist solely for the edification of the body. The word of God is very clear that the body of Christ is to be going and making disciples. And I love the words of the Apostle Paul. This is perhaps uh, my favorite chapter of Scripture. Every time I interact with it, I'm reminded how much I love it. But then like a week later, I interact with something different. I'm like, no, maybe this one is my favorite. But I truly love 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here is the crux of the matter of all of our relationships with those in our community, whether that's work, friends at school, or people that we meet at the park. Christ makes people new. Not better, new. And people are made new and reconciled to God when those who have been reconciled to God act as the ambassadors that God has made them and declared them to be when he saved them. 
Okay, the function of an ambassador as a follower of Jesus is not optional. Being an ambassador is not for some, it's not for them, it's not for those, it's for the body of Christ. And and, and, an ambassador, we've talked about this before, but I'll remind you, it's just simply someone who speaks on behalf of someone else. Not in a prophetic way, but they, they vouch for that person. The obvious illustration is always, when you go to all these foreign countries, there's U.S. embassies. And if you're there and you lose your passport, you go to that embassy, and they make some phone calls, they do what they do on their end, and then they're able to tell the other embassy of that country or the, the, the government of that country, yes, this person is a citizen of the United States of America. They have spoken on your behalf. They have filled the function and role of an ambassador for you. And you are an ambassador for Jesus. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you name the name of Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are an ambassador for Jesus. And you are to implore people to be reconciled to God. It's not for somebody else to do. It's for each of us to do. It's for all of us to do. And as we're imploring people to be reconciled to God, what are we imploring them with? The fact that God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we could be the righteousness of God. It doesn't say he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you don't go to hell. It doesn't say he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you could be a little better than you were before you learned that. It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you can be the righteousness of God. And that is the message that the church proclaims to the community. Be reconciled to God. As we saw just a couple weeks ago, examining Jesus and his conversation with the woman at the well, Most times, we need to invest in people. We need people to know and understand that they matter. Because listen, you got to understand something. Because of the culture we live in now that is more and more defined by skepticism, that's defined by reason and logic, a lot of people function in life as though they have no purpose, as though they have no value, they have no worth. And I want you to know and understand, that's the antithesis of the Word of God. If you want one reason only to say, I'm not going to engage or believe an evolutionary model of origins, it's because it renders you worthless. It renders you pointless. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to think that I'm more than just a clump of cells that's going to be thrown in the dirt one day when I stop breathing. I would like to to think that there's value and worth to my life, not because of who I am, but because of whose image I'm made in. And so we, lots of times in our communities, in our relationship at work, we've got to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about preach the gospel and when necessary use words. That's the, the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. The word preach literally means declare audibly, Okay. But there is a truth that says your life should be manifesting the fact that, like they talked about the apostles, we've been with Jesus. And so we cultivate relationships with people and we share truth with people. 
And we want them to know that they matter, that they have value, and that they have worth, if for no other reason than because they're made in the image of God. And as people begin to understand that life isn't an accident, that it hasn't happened by chance, that they do have value, and that they do have worth. Suddenly, if those things are true, I'm now open to, well, what is the point of my life then? Let me tell you. The point of your life is that you would glorify God. But you can't glorify God in your state as you are now because you haven't been made new by Christ. There's 2 Corinthians 5. And we share the message of the gospel The message that says, because of sin, you're separated from God, but because of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, you can be brought back to God. Now that's a message worth hearing. If there's anything to us at all, if there is any value, if there is any worth, and I believe there is, and mankind needs to know the truth, we've been separated from God. And lastly, we want to develop and maintain authentic relationships around the world. Very familiar passage. We've looked at it at length over the course of this year, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As we expand out from our immediate context of church and community, There is a big, big world that's in need of Christ. And DBC has always made supporting missionaries globally a priority. And by God's grace, we're able to currently partner with many who are seeking to advance the gospel all across this globe. But that can never minimize our role beyond just supporting our missionaries. My prayer is that DBC would be raising up people to be missionaries both in our community and around the world. Have you ever considered that maybe God would call you to full-time missions or full-time service to him somewhere else? Now, I'm not saying you're wrong or in sin if you haven't, but the best ability is availability. And maybe if we availed ourselves to the Lord, he might use us. And so our goal Our vision in developing and maintaining authentic relationships isn't just that we send a check to missionaries around the globe. That's a great thing. Praise God for those who we get to partner with, who are preaching and teaching the full counsel of God's word, raising up people. But I pray that we'd be sending out people who are earnestly, faithfully living out the gospel in our community and in our surrounding communities. Have you ever considered maybe through the power of the gospel we could make it our aim to to send out missionaries and maybe plant churches? And this is what we see modeled in the New Testament. That churches would reproduce. And I want you to understand something. If our goal is less than this, then we've lost sight of the mission. And just perhaps the goal of the church is more about the we than, the Christ, than Christ. Because this is what we see modeled in God's word. And so as we think about relationships, I want to end with an illustration, a short one. A contract is a transaction. A covenant is a relationship. 
Or to put it slightly different, a contract is about interest. A covenant is about identity. It is about you and me coming together to form an us. That is why contracts benefit, but covenants transform. You see, all of our relationships are either transactions or covenants. Whether we're talking about our relationships in the church or outside of the church, we will either develop and maintain relationships seeking to get what we want out of them and have relationships that function as transactions, or we will develop and maintain relationships that are based upon identity. Relationships where people matter because they're made in the image of Christ. And for those who have not yet known Christ, that they would repent of sin, that they would turn to Christ, and they would see their need for salvation. If we keep our relationships only if we get what we want, our relationships will be shallow and lacking. If we keep relationships based upon identity the world will be transformed. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, by faithfully preaching and teaching the full counsel of God's word. We are committed to developing and maintaining authentic relationships in the church, the community, and around the world. That is Dale Bible Church. Let's pray together. Father, what a tremendous privilege that it is to be an ambassador of you. To take up the mantle of of making disciples, God, because that's what you've called us to do. To speak on your behalf. And Father, you've given us all that we need that pertains to life and godliness in your word. And it is our desire here at Dale Bible Church that we would stand upon the full counsel of your word. God, that we would not compromise it. God, that we would not add to it. But that we would just see it for what it is. God, it's inspired by you. It's given to us for, for wisdom, for instruction, for training in righteousness. God, it's given so that we could know you. So that we could know your heart for us. God, so that we could know the bad news. So that we could rejoice in the good news. Father, we pray that you continue to go before us here at DBC, that you continue to give us clarity as we go about striving to make disciples and bring you glory in doing so. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you, God, for all that you have accomplished and are accomplishing. We pray, God, that you would continue to work in our midst, not for our glory, God, but for yours. And we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.